Well, listen, I'm glad to be with you this Sunday. Uh, Turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to jump back in to a paragraph we touched on. And um, I'm going to do the best I can to cover some ground today. Um, Next, I fly Thursday to Nebraska. Uh, They lost yesterday to Georgia Southern. So the whole atmosphere of Cornhusker Nation, which if you don't follow it football-wise... Nebraska Cornhuskers are like Alabama is the university to the state of Alabama. Everything rises and falls on that. And as a pastor in Alabama, if Auburn would lose or Alabama would lose, church was flat. I had to work hard. People were depressed. So I'm going to a depressed part of the country. Uh, I get to do chapel for them on Friday night before they play Oklahoma. I really don't know what to say. You know, they've lost two games, um, so, and, and then just, it's going to be a challenge. So, I, A, I want you to know that uh, I won't be with you next week, but it's because I'm doing something, I'm ministering to the depressed and the despairing <laughs> in a foreign land, Cornhusker Nation. I wanted to begin, I think this may become a pattern for me, um, there's something that matters to God, most of all. And that is the hear, O cornerstone. Hear means, hey, listen to this. Head up, eyes open, pay attention. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's God, and He alone is God. He is one. He's first. He's foremost. He's one of a kind. And I wanted to begin today by saying to you, acknowledge that constantly. Karen and I have been in the Psalms, and you read over again, Yahweh reigns, Yahweh rules, Yahweh is worthy of praise. From the rising of the sun till the setting of the same, His name is to be praised. And a good way to start your day is to affirm and acknowledge, He's God, I'm not. He's first, he's foremost, he's one of a kind. And that acknowledgement is validated by, therefore, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Did you hear all the alls? So saying it demands a response to it. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. You get that right, you get life right. And so I wanted to remind you of that because sometimes I don't start like that. And I'm convinced that it's important for us to begin like that. We're about to look into the revelation of reality. This is the Bible. This is the way it is. This is the word of God. It's reliable and authoritative. And he is God and we ought to treat him as he ought to be treated. And if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. He that hath and keepeth my commandments, that's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me like that, my father and I, we will disclose ourselves to him. They will enjoy life that's truly life because Christianity is about a relationship, not just about a mission. Your purchased redemption was to the end that you can know God, and here's my bridge, and you can bear witness to the nature of God. 
You're both a rescue agent and you're also a revealer, a communicator of who God is, what God values, the way you ought to live life. Real Christianity is not just words. That's our book. The lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian mean they live it. They don't just say it. James chapter 3 is focused on the work of words. James chapter 2 ended by saying, listen, if you make claims your words, they better be validated by your work. Chapter 3 is work of words. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, which is where we are, has to do with the expression of how the work of faith displays itself in your life. Verses 3 through 12, real Christians daily target their tongue and consistently control their words. That's what we learned about real Christianity. Genuine faith is proven by its understanding and use of the tongue. The chief signal indicator of your condition before God is your mouth. Out of your heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth is powerful. He's talked about the work of words revealed in your tongue. Now, verses 13 through 18. Real Christians employ heavenly wisdom, gently doing good and promoting peace. Genuine faith is proven, it's validated by the gracious wisdom it displays and dispenses and the fruit it produces. That's the claim of this paragraph. Read with me, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Now look up for a minute. The claim is, which one of you claims to be wise? Now technically, the word wise is a term the Jews would use for a sage, somebody who's a teacher, somebody who's a spiritual disseminator of God's revelation. Knowledge has to do with the content, substance uh, of the Word of God disseminated by the wise, sage, spiritual teacher. This really goes back to verse 1, probably. It has to do with don't stop becoming a teacher. As a teacher, you have greater responsibility. You're, You're prone to hypocrisy. You're responsible for accuracy. And This particular statement of James turns from the tongue, what you say, to how you live. From the person who is most prone to leverage their tool of the tongue to make claims about God on behalf of God. So it's probable, technically, that James is talking to the people that are teaching. I want to argue from the beginning that that is certainly a proper understanding potentially of contextual application. But I want to argue that anybody can claim to speak for God. You can claim to be wise. And the wisdom here has to do with the view of God that you claim to know and the influence you claim to leverage. If anybody considers, let me put it this way, themselves to be a spiritual influencer, 
You understand that term in our culture. You could be a parent. You're a spiritual influencer. You're a Bible study leader. You're a spiritual influencer. You're a ministry partner. You're a spiritual influencer. You go to work and you're a disciple maker. You're a spiritual influencer. The claim of wisdom is not just for somebody who has the title of sage or rabbi or teacher. It's the claim of any person who says, I'm disseminating the wisdom of God. I have knowledge from God, from the word of God, insight about the ways of God. Listen to me. I'm a spiritual influencer. I'm leveraging the things that I know, and I'm making a claim, you need to listen to me. This is true. This is what God thinks. It applies to all of us is my point. Even if you're not a formal Bible teacher, somebody respected and regarded as as someone who stands in the pulpit or at the lectern to bear witness to the ways of God through the Word of God. This applies to you if you endeavor to communicate. You need to think this way. You need to live this way because I represent the wisdom from above. Are you with me? This applies to you, in other words. Unless you're making no effort to influence anybody in the realm of truth, talk to nobody about what's right and wrong. And I get it. Sometimes we feel muted and silenced because of the peer pressure or because of the blowback that might become ours when we make authoritative claims. Therefore, we might have gone silent. But that ought not to be true of the Christian. We are advocates for the truth. We tell the truth. We are stewards of the gospel truth. And if we don't say it and tell it, they won't know it. And we're responsible for it. And when we make such a claim of disseminating wisdom from above and the knowledge content, the the real information related to that wisdom as given by God, when we make that claim, there's a requirement. And that's really what verse 13 introduces us to. Who among you, and I'm going to add this, claims to be wise and have understanding? Let him show. Show is demonstrate. Show is prove. It's a a tense of a verb which means right now, not later. It needs to be true now. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. If you're going to make the claim of an influencer, you need to validate the requirement for that claim. I was trying to get a summer job in between semesters at Brown when I was attending there and playing football and needed a summer job and couldn't find him. You know, Brown alum would offer you jobs to do things that nobody would really want to do. And uh, I couldn't find anything suitable. And I had a friend who, who worked for a construction company in the hometown where I graduated and he said, we need help, and why don't you come out? And so I meet the owner of the company, the construction company, and uh, he says, well, what do you know? What do you do? Well, I played sports. I, I, I do that. Oh, I, I, I tell you what I can do. I can roof. Because I sat with my dad on the roof, and I held the shingles while he nailed them. I snapped the chalk line with him. I put one roof on. 
I was the gopher helper, and I called myself a roofer. (laughs) There were four homes they were building, and he said, all right, show me what you can do. I said, when? Now. So up the ladder with a bundle of shingles, I had to validate a claim. Then and there. The simple declaration that I was a roofer didn't validate that I was a roofer. Are you with me? This says, you want to be a spiritual influencer? You want to pretend to talk for God or actually claim you're talking for God? Right here, right now, validate it. Now, validate it in what way? What is the requirement for those who would be wise and bear the the label of knowledge disseminator on behalf of God. Listen to me, pay attention to me, child of mine, friend of mine, Bible study I lead, group I seek to influence, internet audience that I have, the followers that consider me relevant. What is the validating evidence necessary, the requirement for true Wisdom claims and understanding. Let him show, demonstrate. This is a present active verb. This is something that's to be the model and habit. It's not like I got to look five years ago or two years ago. I went on a missions trip. No, this is not that. This is the everyday rhythm of my life, the validating evidence, good behavior. Behavior is the word for lifestyle. Paul uses it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. You remember my reputation, my manner of living. It's that word. Let him show by the reputation of his life, his, we've talked about this before, his kalos deeds. Two words for good, kalos and agathos. Agathos is beneficial and practical. He's going to use that later. This is the noble, virtuous, generous, so obviously beyond the norm that it's noble, compelling. You're living in a way that does practical good so generously, so consistently, that it's profoundly work that is observed and gives you a reputation that says, that's a good guy. That's a good gal. It's not just the things they teach and the wisdom they claim. It's the life they live, validated by the noble, virtuous, generous, sincere, consistent behavior that elevates others and serves to meet needs. The good behavior, a reputation for good works. And the question to be asked is, when someone speaks your name, do people equate your conduct, your reputation, your lifestyle, as one of good deeds. Number two, these good deeds are to be done, verse 13, in realm or sphere, the gentleness of wisdom. The word gentleness is meekness. Meekness derived from source, wisdom. Wisdom supplies this attribute of meekness. Wise people are meek, and they do what they do as a pattern of lifestyle defined by the characteristic of meekness. 
Their behavior is defined by meekness. Now, you may have heard this, but I want to punctuate it because it's the heart of this text as a validating evidence. Meekness is not milk toast. Meekness is not smiling weakness. Meekness is the characteristic that is countercultural. Listen, in our culture, at least when I was growing up, you, you honored, highlighted, elevated, celebrated macho men. In my world, it was Clint Eastwood. Go ahead and make my day. That guy. The guy you didn't mess with. The guy that took you to task. He was strong. He was courageous. He had machismo. He had that mentality. He was tough. He was bullish. He didn't take it, and he could clearly give it. Now listen, I like that, but that's not this. As a matter of fact, that is not in any way related to this. The Greeks did not value meekness. They called it weakness. The Greeks celebrated the person who conquered, gave you a piece of their mind, dominated, and won the victory of words or actions. This guy is, in our culture, the media myth man, we can call him. And honestly, as I was writing this, I was thinking, you know what? This is no longer the media myth man. This is the media myth woman. This is a culture now where the hero is a gal. She's strong. She's tough. She beats up the guys. She takes, no, she's the equalizer. I read Elon Musk saying how much he was disappointed by the uh, rings of power, which is this new uh, deal they created at great expense on Amazon to kind of be a follow-up or actually a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. And Musk was bemoaning the males, the men, celebrated in the wings, ring, or represented in the rings of power, he said J.R.R. Tolkien would be turning over in his grave because almost every male character, he said, is a coward, a jerk, or both. And the warrior hero is a gal. And you've got She-Hulk, you've got all these kind of new things in our culture that celebrate really strong, tough, I will beat you a four. The new king of whatever land he's from is a woman, not a queen, a king. So maybe I could say it this way to make it applicational to you. What our culture elevates, whether it used to be applied to men, and I actually think now the cool man is the kind of the, the effeminate guy, the artsy guy, the Harry Styles guy. <laughs> Machismo or tough, I'm not going to take it. Whether it's male or female is exalted in culture. It was then, it tends to be now. And because of the internet, I can act tough even if I'm not tough. Because there's this insulation of consequence if I violate the wrong person. It's kind of like when you drive tough. You're insulated in your car. Meekness 
is being tough, strong, powerful, but under control. Meekness is not milk toast. Meekness is strength that's controlled. It's not Clint Eastwood. It's Kung Fu. Am I using illustrations you can relate to? <laughs> I, I took karate do in high school, and you know I took two years of it, and I really enjoyed it. My instructor was a small guy, and and I remember we went to a theme park, and he's small enough where people would try to take advantage of him, and one guy was mouthing off to him, and it was shocking to me how long he endured that before he acted. But man, when he acted, it was powerful. Meekness is having the power to act. Listen, I can be meek when the guy's 6'5 and 240. It's another thing to be meek when they're 5'2 and 130. Meekness is the ability to do something, to take action, to be tough, and not choose to defend yourself or take action, even though action could be taken. Meekness, it's not passiveness resulting from weakness or resignation. It is an active attitude of deliberate acceptance. Meekness is strength under control. It's described as the government of your passions. Controlled conduct of one, listen to me, who has the power to act, And out of principle, virtue, or faith, they choose not to act. The violation is real. The situation is is evident and obvious and, and, and in front of you. And because of the strength of conviction, and because of the faith you have in the God who has the ability to do justly, when you could, you choose not to. You don't choose to elevate yourself. You don't choose to defend yourself. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 12, and I'm going to give you a flavor of it, because I think we've heard it, but I think you need to taste it, because I don't think in our culture we're inclined to it. Because what I gave him a piece of my mind. I told him a thing or two. That's the mentality that I think comes in an angry culture, and we live in one. And unfortunately, that anger, that frustration, that I'm not going to take it expression gets expressed in the church from people who say, I'm a truth disseminator. I'm a God influencer. I've got knowledge and assets and influence. This passage says, you prove you're talking from God's source, wisdom, the wisdom from above, this text we'll talk about. You validate you have that when you live like this. You not only do good stuff, it's how you do good stuff. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron. Miriam, the sister of Moses, Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman. This is a gal he married, probably dark-skinned, whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses. Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses, here's a key verse, was very humble. Guess what that word is? Meek. He was a meek man, here translated very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. So whatever's about to be 
expressed or communicated is the behavior of a meek man, a humble man, which is housed in meekness as a part of its strength. Verse 4, suddenly the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Can you imagine? This is not the president. This is not the owner of the company. This is Yahweh saying, you, me, come. So this is a a face-to-face exchange. God to them, the Lord came down in a pillar of fire. Verse 5, the Lord, Yahweh, shall make myself known to him in a vision. In other words, as the prophet, they get communicated with by a vision, a dream. I shall speak with him in a dream. Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. You know, the guy that I didn't call forward standing here with you? I don't talk to him in dreams. Verse 8, with him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And behold, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Let me translate it for the purposes of today. This guy has wisdom. This guy speaks for me. This guy has station and he has capacity. What in the world are you doing maligning him? So the anger of the Lord, verse 9, burned against them. In other words, he's not going to have it. And he, God, departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Now, leprosy is not just I got really pale skin. Leprous is elephant-like skin. It's deformed skin. It's not just bright white because of a lack of blood flow. It's deformed. You look like a monster. Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not on account of this sin in us or to us, in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like, the, like one dead, because that's the life, the living dead were the lepers, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. He's just giving you color commentary on what just went down. Now, who was the offended party? Moses was the offended party. Did Moses act in calling down a curse? He did not. Why did he not? Two reasons. One, he was meek. Two, he entrusted himself to God. Who acted? God acted. Meek people trust God to act when they could act. But the Lord, verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Oh God, heal her, I pray. Now that's the heart of a meek person. Because what you're going to see in this text is the pattern of earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom is you hurt me, I hurt you. And what Moses does, he doesn't injure. He entrusts himself to God who does what he does. And when the injury or the consequence occurs, which is significant, what a meek person does is intercedes for the person afflicted with injury. In other words, I don't want to be the herder. Because housed in our culture, and that you're going to see it in this when 
Well, I don't want you to turn just yet. Watch these words, verse 14. But the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Which is a way of saying, listen, that's a lesser thing than just what went down with you. As if she had spit on you or you spit back towards her because of her degrading, shameful behavior. And if it was the case that she had been so dishonorable, had so misbehaved that you had spit as a father to her, to communicating graphically her, your disdain, the dissatisfaction with her behavior, she would be separated for seven days. In other words, what Miriam did was a big deal. And therefore, she's got a big problem. And you want me to heal her? I want her to stay this way at least seven days. Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, consequences. And the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. And afterward, the people moved out from that place to the wilderness of Paran. Her leprosy went away. Her isolation went away. Who was offended? Moses. Who dealt with that offense as if he was spit in the face or done some shameful thing? God dealt with it. What did the meek man do? He didn't curse her. He didn't afflict her. He prayed for her. Meekness is when you hurt me. I don't hurt you back, even though I could. Meekness says, I trust him. And when he does what he does, I still have a heart for you. Meekness is strength under control. A truly wise man, a truly wise teacher, influencer, a truly wise mom or mother is not macho or tough or forceful. They're strong and they're meek. Another example of this would be in 1 Peter chapter 2 when it speaks of Jesus who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am meek, gentle. Come to me, I'll give you rest for your soul. Remember that claim in Matthew chapter 11? Watch Jesus on display. And, and the reason I'm, this is 1 Peter 2, just to remind you, Because if you're making the parental claim of being the disseminator of wisdom or the influencer claim of the disseminator of God's will and way, which is what wisdom is, wisdom is not because you have gray hair and live a lot of life. Just You you can be unwise and have gray hair and live a long time. Wisdom is an asset, a divine asset that comes from God. It is a supernatural provision of heaven that comes when you pray and you trust. James 1, the early part of that, since you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives it liberally, generously, without reproach, but you better ask in faith without wavering. God, I don't know how to teach this. I don't know how to respond to this. This is a life circumstance that is really challenging to me, and I'm looking to you for what you have that I need. Proverbs 2.6, wisdom comes from the Lord. Job 28.28, 28, where do you find wisdom? There's nobody on the earth who knows where wisdom is. Nobody has it. Nobody knows where to find it. And then Job says, God has it. 
and he dispenses it to those who fear. To man, God has said, the Lord Yahweh has said, behold, listen to this. The one who fears me has wisdom. You respect me, that's the baseline for possessing assets that belong to me. Wisdom is God's overview, the way God views the world. You can't see from his perspective. But he's granting, he's willing to grant insight so that you can be wise, knowing what to say, what to do, and when to do it. And if you're going to possess that asset or make that claim, you have to fear the Lord. And then the verse goes on to say, Job 28, 28, and to turn away from evil. So you turn from sin and you respect God and you're a candidate for what God gives. And guess what we need? That. And when we make claims about spiritual influence, I'm a wise man, listen to me. I know you better validate what you know by how you live, by the good you do and by the meekness you display. 1 Peter chapter 2 Jesus is being assaulted, verse 21, for you have, and and Peter's using him as an example at his crucifixion before Pilate and before the Sanhedrin. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, what steps particularly is he referring to? Someone who committed no sin, not guilty, not rightly worthy of the treatment he's enduring, who committed no sin, like Moses, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, what did he do? He did not revile in return. No reciprocation. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I don't want to bottom line with meekness for you today. This is an essential qualification to actually being a wise influence from God person. And it needs to be displayed by the good you do and by the attitude you display when you do it. And it is chiefly defined by the capacity, when mistreated, to not respond in kind, to have the strength and virtue to endure it because you trust God with it. Um, I don't like to be disrespected. It's a personal problem for me when people cut me off and tell me I'm number one with the wrong finger. That bothers me. And there's this, and this is just self-confession, that needs to be corrected. Because you know what that is? Unacceptable. And so there's an instant kind of challenge, collision between Harry the elder pastor father and the guy who's executing justice. Are you with me? So the guy cusses you. So your child rebels. So the person you've told over and over the things they need to hear, they blow you off and treat you like you have no value. Disrespect. What does a meek person do? They don't do what they feel naturally they want to do. Meekness says, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to exercise self-control. 
I have the ability to respond in kind. And if they're smaller than me or my truck is bigger than their car, I can actually do this. Or this is my child. Watch this. I can behave in a way that disqualifies me from the claim that what's coming out of my mouth is motivated by God. Which is why sometimes when we interact with the people closest to us, they don't respect us because we're, gener- we're, we're communicating that we're energized by, motivated by, and delivering assets that are not from God or heaven, no matter what the claim is. A truly wise man must meet this requirement. And the word I want you to hear is must meet this requirement. It is non-negotiable. It is the standard of conduct that is supposed to be demonstrated by everyone who claims influence on behalf of God. That's the big idea. Wow. We're covering ground fast, aren't we? James chapter 3. I'm going to add one more thing because this connects to it. Watch verse 14. As opposed to the validating requirement behavior of being a spokesman for heaven, disseminating knowledge from God, but if you have bitter jealousy, first class condition, here's how you need to read it, since you have. He's not calling into the question the potential that they might have. He's actually making a claim about the teachers he's referring to or the spiritual would-be leaders. You have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and it's in your heart, and it affects what comes out of your mouth and the credibility and influence of what comes out of your mouth. Here's the, not the requirement. If you're going to test for wisdom, this is a requirement. Good behavior, meekness that comes from wisdom because wisdom is always meek or it's not wisdom. This is the reality. This is not the claim. He's talking to these Jewish Christians that are living in a way that contradicts since you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Those are the motivating qualities. This is what's going on. This is where all this energy is coming from. It's in your heart. Do not be arrogant. That's the main verb. It means stop being arrogant. Stop making the claim. What arrogance? I'm wise. Now, we don't use this word in my home, but it's like James just said, stop it. Shut up. Don't claim to speak for God or to be an influencer for God because what's on display in you, look at what it says, verse 14, is a lie against the truth. Now, the truth has two elements. The truth of your claim. I'm a wise man. I have knowledge. You're lying against that claim. But there's a bigger application to truth. You're lying against the truth of God. You're lying against the truth of the gospel. You're lying against the embodiment of all truth claims in the scripture. You contradict it. You injure its integrity. Why? Because I do have influence, but it's not a good influence. It's a detrimental influence. Are you a real Christian? Yes. 
Well, then you need to, if you're a disseminator and influencer of truth, you need to validate that right here, right now, by the behavior you display, good, virtuous, noble, compelling, consistently. And you need to do it with this strength of virtue that when you're misunderstood, violated, or unaccepted, or rejected, or persecuted, you behave in a way that entrust that to God, and you don't function out of, here it is, bitter jealousy. Jealousy is energy. It's seething or boiling. It comes from zeal. And it, it can be passion, and it can be good. I have zeal for God. That's good. I have zeal for my church. I have zeal for the Bible. I have zeal for my family. That can be good. But when it's Provoked by bitterness. Bitterness means I've been injured. Pakriya, I've been poked. I've been stabbed. You've hurt me. Bitterness, bitter, when someone's bitter, they've been hurt. And as the hurt one, they feel justified in hurting back. And the energy, the seething of that is not good. It's, I want to hurt you. Jealous is, I want to take away what you have. You don't deserve it. I'm going to remove it. You have respect. You have credibility. I want to, I want to take that. You hurt me. I want to discredit you. What James is saying to these would-be wise ones is, let me tell you what's really going on. You're lying against the truth by contradicting it through the hurtful actions and attitudes, the seething, boiling, injurious heartbeat that you have demonstrated in those who, listen, challenge you. Because this is about partisanship, which is the next word. It says, um, lie against the truth, selfish ambition is, is the idea that it's what politicians have. Okay, it's, it's somebody, it's like the, the mentality of a mercenary. You know what a mercenary is? He does what he does because you pay him. He's a day laborer. That's literally the term for selfish ambition. Selfishly ambitious people are all about, here's the key thought, themselves. They do it for the money. They do it for the recognition. The ambition is to have what I can get. It's not about the group. It's not about the person I'm engaged with. It's about me. And people who forfeit legitimate claim to speaking for God or influencing in ways that please God and impact for the good of God forfeit that when they're all about them. You've, you know why I, I'm so irritated as a parent? Because you shame me. Your behavior reflects on me. Is that true? Yes, it is. What my children do reflects on me. But that cannot be the energy that drives me. My husband reflects me. My wife reflects me. My flock reflects me. My students reflects me. My staff reflects me. Selfish ambition says it's all about me. And if you disrespect, shame, dishonor me, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm also going to do so in a way, I'm going to close with this, that hurts me. Because the word bitterness took on a meaning of double-edged sword. It's like throwing glass. You can throw glass, 
You may injure the other person in the effort to throw it, but you can also cut yourself in the throwing of the glass. Real Christians, when injured, do not seek to injure in return. They do not seek out of that injury to do things that are meant to hurt, and as a consequence, they are hurt. That's why bitterness has no end game. Bitterness is like a toxic pool that ever spirals and everybody loses. And bitterness is the product of injury. Whether it's disrespect or like with Moses and Miriam, it's dishonoring and shaming. Wise people don't play that game. They don't live in that language or that world. The reality is they are The reality is they aren't talking for God and they do not credit the things of God. This wisdom, closing statement, this wisdom is not that verse 15 which comes from above. True wisdom only comes from above. True Christians that are wise demonstrate that not only by what they say but how they live and the energy that governs their heart. Can you say amen? I know I took a long time unpacking that, but it's so... I mean, look at the internet. I look at all the things we do, and we look and sound just like the world who doesn't know God. That's not cool. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for these men and women, brothers and sisters, for our family that we share. Lord, this is your your word. Help it to be relevant and real to us. Lord, in the ways that we receive it and the ways we apply it. And Lord, if there's conviction in our heart, if there's recognition in our heart, that's not a bad thing. That's not a shameful thing. That's a good thing. And I pray, God, we would respond with repentance without regret, that we would own it and ask you to change us because of it. And to that end, I ask it so that we would live wise and have true influence consistent with who you are and what the Word of God reveals. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good morning.